Good morning. It's good to be here. I love fall. It's my favorite season. And so when I came in and I saw the decorations, I'm like, oh, it's fall. I don't think I'm like ready for it to be cold yet, but um, I love the colors. I love the Christmas crisp, crispness of the air. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you go out on a fall day and you go, just kind of breathe that in. And I love football. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's that's why I love fall. Um, will you turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3? Um, last week I promised you that we would cover the part of Ephesians chapter 3. We skipped, so we're picking up with Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. If you have a Bible on your phone, that's great. If you have a paper Bible, that's great. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one laying on a pew next to, pew chair next to you. Um, just kind of look around. Uh, we are studying Ephesians, which scholars call the Constitution of the Church. It's this great letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And in it, he writes to Christians living in the ancient city of Ephesus. And he answers these questions of like what the church is and how we are to be the church. And so we've been studying that. Um, in chapter 1 and 2, Paul paints this really vivid picture, first of what Christ has done and then who we were before Christ. Um, he talks about how we were like zombies. We were dead in our sins, just living to satisfy our cravings. But Christ came and he sacrificed himself for us and he set us free. And um, when we accept him as our savior, we get adopted into God's family. And he gives us these gifts. Ephesians 2.10. Um, it says, for we are God's workmanship. That, that means we're his masterpiece. And we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the end of chapter 1 kind of talks a little bit. Kind of gives the big category of what that kind of work is. The end of chapter 1, verse 23, it says we're the church, the body of Christ. We are to be filled with Christ so that the fullness of Christ fills everything everywhere. In other words, we're filled with the presence of Christ and we take his presence out into the world. That's kind of the big category of our mission, of what we've been saved for, from zombies to superheroes. Yay. All right. But the way each one of us goes about that is going to be very different based on who God has created us to be and how he's gifted us. So we're going to look at chapter 3 because Paul kind of talks about how he is uniquely doing that. And we're going to pull some ex um, principles, I guess, from his example that of can help us figure out how we go about uniquely doing that. First, I want to teach you an acronym, a GPS. Uh, it's really simple. GPS is a tool that helps guide us, right? So somebody's excited about this. Okay. <laughs> so it's real simple. Gifts, those are the, the gifts God has given you, the abilities that he has given you, um, the aptitudes he's given you. Um, passion, what you are passionate about, and then your story, who you are, how you were raised, what family you were born into, what experiences have shaped you, 
what good experiences have shaped you, what bad experiences have shaped you, your story. God uses all of that. He redeems every experience we've ever had. And he uses those things to equip us to carry out this mission. So as we begin to identify our gifts, our passion, and our story, that kind of starts to paint a map, a road map of the direction we're supposed to go in. So let's just look at how this works in Paul's life. I'm going to start with us. Uh, so Paul, he was born a Jew, but also was a Roman citizen. This was extremely rare. The only way for a non-Roman to get Roman citizenship is if their family did something great for a Roman elite, like a general or the emperor, and then their family was granted citizenship. So Paul has rights. Um, he is like a free passport to kind of travel. He has protections by the law. He's also in with like the Roman elite. Like his family has some favor. So that's part of his story. He um, is extremely well-educated and intelligent. He was one of the top students of one of the most renowned Jewish teachers. Uh, let's see, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees believed that um, their nation, Israel, was conquered and oppressed by the Romans because they didn't obey God. And if they just obeyed God better, God would set them free. And so Pharisees study God's law. Like, if Paul knew it like the back of his hand, and he worked so hard to obey God and got irritated with everyone who didn't because their disobedience is why our nation is suffering. And he, he would get very angry about that. And so when some Jews started to follow this teacher named Jesus and do things like that's he thought we're breaking God's law, like, you know, picking heads of grain on the Sabbath so they could have a snack to munch on. He got really angry. And he started hunting down Christians and persecuting them, throwing them in jail. That was part of his story. He was actually a persecutor. Paul was a very angry religious zombie. just fulfilling this craving that he must be right and he must be accepted by God and punish anyone who wasn't. His passion, well, I kind of already talked about what his original passion was. It was to get everybody to obey God, (laughs) right? Or punish them if they don't so that the Jews can be blessed. That was his driving passion. But after he met Christ... His passion switched. So it wasn't just the Jewish people. He wanted to get into a right relationship with God so they can be blessed. His passion became for all people to be in a right relationship with God so they can be blessed. His gifts. Um, Paul, we're going to read in this passage, but he kind of lists three gifts that he was given. The first one is he had a vision from Jesus. He never met Jesus face to face, but one day he was traveling to the city Damascus to hunt down the Christians there, and he had a vision, a blinding light, where he saw Jesus in heaven, and he 
and Jesus spoke to him. So that was that vision was a gift. He talks about another gift was that Jesus revealed to him the mystery of the gospel. Gospel means good news. Um, to know what the good news is, you kind of have to know the bad news. The bad news is the world is broken. The good news is God had a plan to fix it. Nobody really knew what the plan was. The Jews knew it had something to do with them because God had chosen them. But they didn't really understand how God was going to rescue them and save them. It was a mystery. But when Jesus came, the mystery was revealed. That the Son of God would come and save. And it wasn't just for the Jews. It was for Gentiles. It was for everyone. So God revealed this to him. That, he said, was a gift from God. And then the third gift was that he was gifted to preach to the Gentiles. Um... He was highly intelligent. He was highly educated. He knew God's law very well. No Gentile would know that. He only knew that because he was a Jewish Pharisee. But at the same time, did he know how to relate to the Roman establishment? Yeah, he did. And he, being a Roman citizen, he, he uniquely gifted him to preach to Gentiles. Okay, so... Let's read. We're going to read through verse 13. Starting in chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He's, he's already starting with some of his story. He repeatedly refers to himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was honored to be in prison for Christ. Why? Because part of his story was that he used to imprison people. That was part of his story. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me. Grace is a gift we don't deserve. So the administration of God's grace that was given to me, he's just talking about the gifts God has given him. All right? That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Paul isn't claiming that he's the only one who's had this revelation and has this knowledge. But it wasn't known in generations past, but since Christ has come, the Spirit is now making it known to different apostles and prophets, and he's one of those apostles. All right, the mystery, in verse 6, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of by God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach the Gentiles, to preach, I'm sorry, to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So rulers, earthly rulers, but also rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. 
Um, so not just kings and princes and emperors, which Caesar or Paul did go on. He preached to kings. He preached to Caesar. And many of, I shouldn't say many, but I know some of Caesar's household were saved. As Caesar wasn't, but some of his household were. Um, but not only them, but also angels and demons. Authorities in the heavenly realms, they did not understand. They did not know how God was going to save the world. And they are learning through this revelation and the preaching of God's apostles and prophets. Verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Just, I, I just want to emphasize that, that we approach God with freedom and confidence. I think so often we feel like we have to come before God as beggars. But because of Christ, we approach Him with freedom and confidence. Or we come before God feeling like we can never measure up or we're laid down with this heavy burden of things that we are, have to do because we have this great mission, you know. We come before God with freedom and confidence. I think freedom, especially when we talk about this mission and what God has saved us to do, there is great freedom in how you go about doing that and great creativity. Verse 13, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. He was in prison as he wrote this. But it was because he was in prison that he got to preach to kings and Caesar and Caesar's household. All right, so that, you could hear him kind of reference his GPS as he talked about his ministry. But how does GPS play out for you? There's only one way to figure it out, and that's just to spend some time quiet with God and, and prayerfully ask about these things. And um, I, I like to start with story, you know. What's your bio? Um, you don't have to write it all out, but some bullet points um, or a timeline. These are the experiences that shaped me. And ask God to bring them to your head. Because a lot of times it can be very in, seemingly insignificant. I'm having trouble speaking today. Insignificant things that have a great impact on us. Sometimes we only look at the really highs and the lows. And we don't realize how the normal middle impacts us. And God is using to shape us. For me, I am a white female. I my born, my father came from a family that was in the occult. Um, and there was a lot of occult bondage in my family history. My mother suffered severe ongoing childhood trauma. Both of them found healing and freedom in Christ. And, and so I was raised in the church as a pastor's kid and had the benefit of all of this education in God's word. That's that's part of who has shaped me. But at the same time, as I'm learning all these things about God's word, I'm also seeing the effects of the occult and trauma in people's lives. That's part of my story. 
And part of my story is being in a church family that helped my family heal from those things. There's a lot of other things that have affected me. But you have to pray and start asking God, God, what are those things that have shaped me that are part of my story and start mapping them out? Passion. What excites you? What do you like to do? What information do you scroll for? <laughs> you know, that you look up. What angers you? Those are the things you're passionate about. When we pray about this, we have to ask God to help us discern between our God-given passions and our selfish passions. Because those two can distort one another. Gifts. What abilities and aptitudes do you have? If you don't know, start asking the people who know you well. <laughs> but you need to identify those. Um, and some of you are young and you're like, I have no idea what my gifts and ability impact, you know. And so you just have to try things. Uh, at Caring Community Church, when we ask you to volunteer, it's never like a lifetime commitment. We know people need just to try different things to see if it fits them. And if it doesn't fit, you know, we'll help you find something else. For me, one of my greatest gifts is my ability to preach and teach. I didn't know that until I was at least 35. And I didn't start actually preaching regularly until maybe 40 because as a girl and a young woman I was never asked to and sometimes we just have to try things and get bold and we have to encourage and speak into one another but I had this latent gift that wasn't being used. As a young girl, I had um, a reoccurring dream at night that I would be on a stage and like this voice would come out of me and sink into people's hearts and move them to action. And that was a reoccurring dream. I had no clue what that meant. No clue. But there are some dreams that God has given you and things that he has used to shape you that will point the direction of how you are to carry out this mission. All right. Um, last week we covered chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. So now we're going to skip ahead to chapter 4, verse 1, okay? And you'll see Paul starts with his story again. 4 verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling is the unique way that you've been gifted to do this mission. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul starts this chapter by emphasizing our unity. Did you catch that? 
unity through how we treat one another, that we're humble and gentle with one another, unity, and that there's we have one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's emphasizing our unity. And next he is going to talk about the diversity of our gifts. We'll read that in a second. But I want you to pick up on this theme in Ephesians of unity and diversity because it keeps popping up. In chapter 2, diversity, there's Jews and Gentiles, right? Unity, the two are made one. Here in chapter 4, we're we're hearing about unity, that we're saved to one hope and one Lord and one faith. We have one spirit, but there's diversity. We have different gifts, apostles, teachers, whatnot. Chapter 5, unity in how we relate. Ephesians 5.21, submit yourselves then one to another. But if you go on, you see there's diversity in their social status. Paul's writing to wives and husbands. Wives didn't really have a lot of rights back then. He's writing to children and fathers and slaves and masters. And some of your Bibles, they insert this break, an artificial break between Ephesians 5.21 and Ephesians 5.22. It doesn't belong there, and it's misleading. He starts that section by saying we're all to submit to one another. That's unity. And then he begins to break down how does, how do you submit to one another when you have these different social standings? How does a master submit to their slave? He addresses that. How does a father submit to their child? That's like radical stuff. It's so radical, we break it up because we can't process it. And and we're going to get to that passage and we're going to talk about what submission truly is and how we look at this. Wives and husbands submitting to one another, children and parents submitting to one another, employees and employers, people with power versus people who don't have power, how we submit to one another. But for now, I just want you to see how Paul continually talks about our unity and our diversity. We have different ethnic backgrounds, but we're one. We have different gifts, but we have the same mission, the same Lord. We have different social standings, but we have the same way of relating to one another. In other words, in Christ, our diversity brings unity. I think it's a huge lie in our culture today that sameness brings unity. That if I just find enough people who think like I do and act like I do and and have all the same solutions to the world's problems that I do, then we'll be unified. How has that worked? How has that worked for Democrats? Are they unified? How has it worked for Republicans? Sameness does not bring unity. It brings isolation. If we are focused on finding people who are the same as we are, and we're focused on how we're the same, 
we will continually become more and more isolated because there is no one who's the same as you. And our circle will get smaller and smaller. Sameness brings isolation. But in Christ, our diversity is unified and brings unity. All right, so let's keep reading. Verses 1 through 6, he emphasizes our unity. And then in verse 7, he starts to emphasize the diversity of our gifts. But to each one, that means everyone who has been saved by Christ, nobody is left out here. But to each one of us, grace, a gift, has been given as Christ apportioned it. Meaning Christ decides who gets what gifts. We don't. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. This is a quote from uh, Psalm 68. But it's saying first, you know, the Son of God descended to earth into our mess, sacrificed himself. And then when he ascended back up into heaven, the people he set free, he didn't just abandon them. He gave them gifts. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Christ didn't go back up into heaven to get away from us and to get away from our mess. Christ went back up to fill it. To fill us, to fill everything. You know, we've been talking about how we need to be filled with the presence of Christ and take that out into the world. But the truth is, Christ is already there, too. There's nowhere you can go that Christ's presence isn't already there. Verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. I think um, the word pastors there is better translated shepherd. If you if you look at the original Greek. Um, today, pastors is just kind of general term we use for anyone who might be leading a church. And they can be gifted in very different ways. Um, but this term right there refers to someone who's gifted to care. Like a shepherd cares. Okay. To care, to gently lead. So he, he gives some as apostles. Apostles means sent ones. People who go. Prophets. Prophets are people who care about justice. And speak to have a, how to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's prophets. Some to be evangelists. Um, Those are people who share the good news and lead others to salvation in Christ. Some to be pastors. Those are people who gently care and lead the hurting or the lost and teachers. These are five categories of leaders that God gifts some people to be. Why does he gift them this way? To prepare God's people for works of service. That's verse 12. So... The whole reason that God gifts someone to be one of these leaders isn't so they can be served. 
but so they can equip the people of God to go out in the world and to serve others. Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean to be mature and attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Sometimes I feel like Paul just throws a lot of words in the same sentence. <laughs> you know it's still that way. Uh, um, Alan Hirsch is a, a, a renowned theologian and church strategist, and I heard him explain it this way. He's like, well, for a church to be mature, it means... There's a whole lot of Jesus there. In a church that isn't mature, there's not so much Jesus. In other words, churches that are mature do the things that Jesus did. And they think like Jesus and they act like Jesus. What are the things that Jesus did? Well, first he went to people who were far from God. He just didn't hang back and expect them to come to him. He went. He healed people. He, he touched people. I don't know if you've, you've ever noticed this, but some people Jesus healed like from a distance, right? But some people he touched. And the ones that he touched were always the people that society deemed gross, like lepers who had to live in isolation because they had these diseases that were contagious. Jesus made a point to touch them. He taught people. He, he was a teacher. He was also a prophet who taught people how to be in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another. And he didn't just teach men. He taught women and children at a time when there wasn't education for women and children because they weren't important enough to educate. <laughs> what else did Jesus do? He ate with people nobody else would eat with. You know, like at, at school, the kid that everyone else despised or looked down on and always sat alone. That was the kind of person that Jesus would go and eat with. Um, what else did Jesus do? He, he confronted people who abused power. That was something he did. He um, confronted hypocrites, people who were proud. But he was very kind and gracious with people who knew they were sinners. Those were the kinds of things Jesus did. And a church that is mature, if you look at their actions, if you look at their attitudes and the things that they do, and you kind of like, okay, here's the whole pile of stuff that they're doing and things that they're thinking now, and you measure it, how much of this is full of Christ? How much of this is like what Christ would do? A church that... Is mature is like a hundred percent. They're filled with Christ. A church that is immature, you look at the things that they do and that and the attitudes they have, not so much like Christ. What happens when we measure to be filled with Christ? Verse fourteen. Then we will no longer be infants, right? Because we're mature now. That kind of is 
self-revealing, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind and teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In order for us to be mature, we need one another and everybody has to be doing their own work. And unfortunately, what happens so often in churches is there's some gifts that we elevate and we think are more important than other gifts. And we know, like, okay, well, there's worship team and our children's ministry and preaching. And, te- you know, those things are important. And they are important. And we need people to do those things. We're having talk about kids' ministry on Tuesday, right? Because we need more people who are love on our kids. But I think that only scratches the surface. Of what God is gifted in calling his people to do and the kind of passions he's given them. Not just for stuff that happens in the church, but for stuff that happens out there. Um, this last week, the LBA, which is the Leadership Board of Administration, met. And one of the things that came to light as... You know, we started our meeting in prayer and asked that God would lead us. One of the things that came to light is there's some people in our congregation that have a passion to help economically challenged people. People who don't have enough food or have trouble paying their rent and and different things like that. And as a church, we don't really have a means of doing this. We kind of have just been hodgepodge in it like oh well here's a need okay we'll give a little, oh we hear this one and it's just kind of like this random like we care but we don't have a strategy for this and so the board decided we need a missions team we need some people who care about our local area and how we can best serve them And then also, eventually, you know, we're not just disposed to care for our local city, but we're called to care for our nation internationally. We're called to care for these things. How do we do that? And so if God has given you a passion for that kind of stuff, let me know, because we're trying to put a team together. And we need different kinds of people on that team. We need people who are can research things, you know, that can look and say, okay, what are the needs of Albion and the surrounding area? What is being met and done well? What is kind of being met and maybe we need to help out with or, or what is not being met at all? And, and, and then what resources do we do? How are people gifted? And help answer those questions. And we need people who know how to organize people <laughs> and know how to organize details. And we need people who just have great faith and can dream big. And we need people who can get up and go do. 
You know, I think of my husband and I. And I'm a strategist, and I'm a big dreamer. But there's times when I get confronted with problems that then I get discouraged. And he is gifted with great faith to keep going. And um, we need all of those kinds of people. So if that's something God has given you a passion for, come speak to me. But there's many, many things. And I think we're only scratching the surface. I think there's latent gifts, just like mine was a latent gift for 35 years. And so I I was today, I was going to break down pastors and apostles and prophets and evangelists, and we were going to go look at other gift lists in the Bible. But I think that might be information overload, so we're going to do that next time. But for now, I, I just want you to take GPS and pray over that. And set aside some time to meet with God. Because we can't be intentional about the purpose and the missions God, the mission God has given us if we don't take time to be intentional about it. And figure out how He's uniquely wired and gifted us. Think of the end of chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God has so much more in store for us than what we've realized so far. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you you not only save us from sin and self-destructive ways of living, but you save us for a purpose. You don't just save us so we can mull through the rest of our lives until heaven, but you give us a mission, a compelling mission, that we are to be the light of the world. And that we are to carry your power into the world that heals people and sets people free. That you have given us a purpose to be part of the solution, to be part of the good news. I thank you, God, for that. And I pray that you help open our eyes to that. Because, frankly, God, there's times where it it is so easy just to get pulled down into the muck of the daily details of life. So God, I pray that you give us supernatural vision. And you start to show us our GPS. That these details of our lives that we have lived through are not haphazard, but you have been using them to equip us for a greater purpose. God, I pray that you will speak to each one and bring to their mind parts of their story. There may be parts of their story that they have willingly suppressed and not wanted to look at because they don't like to be defined by that. 
because it's too painful to remember. God, show us how you're redeeming those parts of our story for your glory. I thank you for my mom. Who endured such childhood trauma. And through my growing up years, she was processing and working through that trauma. Now at 75, you've given her a vision of opening a home for abused women. And I thank you for that, God. I pray you'll start revealing to each one of us how you've wired us and how you've gifted us. God, there are latent gifts in this congregation of people who have gifts and they don't even know it because they have never stepped up to use them or never been asked or given the opportunity. And God, I pray that you'll begin to speak to us about that and reveal it, that you'll reveal it to them and you'll reveal it to the rest of us. And that you'll send Christians in this congregation to speak to one another and say, hey, I see this in you. And God, help us discern between our God-given passions and our selfish, our, our zombie passions. And help us see how how you redeem our zombie passions for your glory and for your purpose. Show us, O oh Lord, we thank you for the exciting future you give us, not just in the new heaven and the new earth, but right here. Now to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, to you be the glory and the honor forever and ever. Amen.